Week 1, Day 3, The Nation's Rage. Hi, I'm Randy Odom, pastor of Legacy, our senior adults here at Three Crosses. And I want to lead us through a time thinking about Psalm 2, verses 1 to 6. And here's what the verses say. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Psalm 2 begins with a question, which when I hear it in my head, is spoken with an almost sarcastic irony. Sort of like the question, why would anyone alive today still believe the world is flat? The psalmist seems to look around himself as he hears the voices of those raging around him in disbelief, exclaiming, why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? As stated in the last two episodes, if we grow in our desire and our ability to meditate on the word of the Lord, we begin to understand the sarcastic tone of this question as we meet Yahweh. In the same way that we understand how science has unquestionably debunked the flat earth theory, the writer of Psalm 2 understood a worldview informed by the word of the Lord that instructed him that all the conspiring he saw around him was futile. The question is, how was the author able to sustain his worldview in the midst of nations chaotically conspiring against the Lord and against his anointed, or his king, that has been established over Israel? In the text, the author of Psalm 2 is not identified. However, in the New Testament, in Acts 4, the apostles Peter and John credit King David as the writer of Psalm 2. If you're a student of the Bible, you'll know that the land of Israel had originally been occupied by many people from different groups and kingdoms. And in the early days of the conquest of the land by the Israelites, there had been much warfare as those original occupants tried to oust the Israelites from their midst. At the time of King David, there undoubtedly still existed, both inside and outside the kingdom, those who wanted to overthrow his rule over the land. The psalm identifies the plot of these conspiracies. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. How was David able to hang on to his faith in God under this threat? We see in verses 4 to 6 of Psalm 2 that David held a higher view, a higher view of his position on the throne of Israel. In other words, David was convinced that it was God himself who had ordained that he be king. He is even so bold as to express the divine perspective on what was taking place. Speaking of God himself, he says, The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. 
he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. With this view, David shows that it is indeed vanity for any earthly king to believe that he could overthrow the God-ordained sovereign on the throne of Israel. Now, if we remember the context that we discussed in episode 1, we remember that Israel is in exile at this point in the Bible. That means that there seems to be some disconnect. The nations did, in fact, overthrow the sovereign king of Israel, right? Is the Bible contradicting itself here? Actually, Psalm 2 would have created a desperate longing for the restoration of Israel, a longing for the king that would behave as a representative from God and never be overthrown. This is what makes Psalm 2 a messianic psalm. That means that although the psalm had an application in the immediate historical and political context in which it was written, in this case, the reign of David as king over Israel, there was also a foreshadowing of God's promised deliverance of the Jewish nation through a future king, a future chosen one, a future Messiah. In Acts 4, we see this specific messianic overshadowing fulfilled, you guessed it, in Jesus. Following a grueling interrogation by the Jewish Sanhedrin, aimed at discrediting the gospel message brought by the apostles of Jesus, Peter and John, they meet with a group of cowering Christians in Jerusalem to report what had happened to them in the interrogation. Once the believers heard the apostles' report, Acts 4 verse 24 and following records their prayer in this way, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That's Acts chapter 4, verses 24 to 31. It is out of this messianic and prophetic interpretation of Psalm 2 that we today can understand the futility of the conspiring and raging of the nations in the world today against Jesus Christ and his kingdom. In verses 4 to 6 of Psalm 2, we read, The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Why does God laugh and scoff at those who conspire against Jesus? Because from his position as sovereign of the universe, 
God reminds humanity of his prerogative to place his duly anointed king on the throne of both heaven and earth. He reveals the ludicrousness of thinking that it could be any other way. As you read the Psalms, recognize Israel's overwhelming grief that this promised anointed king had yet to appear. The closest thing they could grasp was King David. Pay attention as Israel longs for the anointed one. At the same time, rejoice that we as Christians recognize that King Jesus has come. As followers of the anointed King Jesus, believers can take solace in the fact that our Savior is securely seated on the heavenly throne with authority over all things at the right hand of God on high. There is no fear of his position being usurped or of God's sovereign will not coming to pass. Though the rulers of this world may conspire against God and against his anointed one, their conspiracies are vain. The assurance of Psalm 2 and its fulfillment in Jesus emboldened the believers in the book of Acts and it can do the same for the followers of Jesus in the 21st century, even in the worst of trials. And here's an experiment for you. First, look around at the circumstances surrounding your life. Which areas feel chaotic and overwhelming right now? What causes you to question your faith in God's ability to handle your situation? Second, Identify any obstacles that may be keeping you from experiencing God. What feels more immediate and more present than God in your life? Finally, seek to apply what you have learned in order to overcome your obstacles. How might taking the high view of God, informed by his word, affect the situation? If David believed that God placed him where he was and would protect him, what would it look like to believe that in your own life? How can you internalize that nothing can stop the plans of God? Mm-hmm.